we are able to live off of less than one income. So essentially, we just didn't increase our lifestyle. We just kind of maintained that and we're able to use pretty much an entire salary to, to go ahead and put that towards debt. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I cannot be rocking this thing solo, so let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Well, I spent this past uh, weekend in Valentine's Day up in the middle of nowhere in Vermont in a yurt. If you don't know what a yurt is, it's basically a fancy tent. It did get down to negative 11, so it was a little extreme, but we had a wood fire heater and this place was pretty cool. It also had uh, what they call a cowboy hot tub. You can imagine this is essentially like getting cooked in a cauldron. It's just a cast iron bathtub that's up off the ground that you light a fire underneath to get the water warm. And then there was also, though, a really cool sauna as well that was wood heated that the Airbnb host got set up for us. We got up like crazy hot and he fixed us mint tea and everything. So it was a really cool experience. I did almost die a couple of times trying to get there in my car, but that's enough on that. How about you, Cody? Yeah, so this past weekend was actually my birthday, turned big old 24, had a fun Valentine's Day with the girlfriend, we went out to eat, got to see a bunch of friends, went out to a couple bars. The next day, I hung out with family, because I, coincidentally, all of my family's birthdays are in February, so we did like this big joint birthday party, and yeah, it was just a lot of fun men recovering from the weekend back to the grind. But before we start talking about our special guest today, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Have you ever told yourself, this is the year that I'm going to save a bunch of money, and somehow that year is over and you have not saved even close to as much money as you'd wanted? What if this whole process could be automated? Our partner, Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, has created an awesome mobile app that makes it super easy to automate your savings. Whether it's saving up for your next vacation, or saving up for your next rental property, or saving up for that concert next summer, this autosave feature can help you get there. Just set your weekly savings target and let Empower do the rest of the work. That's right, Cody. And don't forget about the other awesome feature of Empower, where you can send simple text messages to Empower's human coaches and get personalized recommendations in return. So if you have a savings goal this year, you've got to check out the Empower app. Download Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. As a special bonus to our listeners, you can get $5 if you use the offer code FISHOW, as well as meet your savings goal. So visit empower.me slash show for more details and now what you guys all came here for our guest today rebecca she's got a really cool story her and her husband were both former military but her husband did come into the relationship with hundred and eighty thousand dollars worth of debt they paid down all of that student debt in two years they're five years away from phi and she's huge on tracking her expenses but not to give away the whole episode take it away rebecca Definitely after I graduated college and first started making my own money, I would say I was by no means an expert, but you know, I had heard about a Roth IRA and I was like, that sounds pretty important. Let me invest in one of those. But I would say the point that really got me serious about it was when my husband and I decided to combine our finances and he had $180,000 of student loan debt. So, you know, that is a little overwhelming to start out a marriage with that. So, you know, we came together. It took it took me a little bit to be okay with combining finances, but ultimately we decided, you know, we're trying to build a life together. 
So we made up a plan to pay them off and we were able to get them done. There was $160,000 left when we started paying them down aggressively and we knocked that out in less than two years. Wow, that's a pretty impressive pay down rate to be able to pull that together, especially as newlyweds. I mean, I'm sure there's always a lot of stress that's going to happen as you're first getting married. But I'm curious. So your husband came in with $180,000 worth of debt, but it sounds like you didn't come in with any debt. How was that able to happen? Yeah, that's right. So I was able to go to college on a full scholarship. I joined the Air Force. And when I was in high school, I applied to an ROTC scholarship and ended up getting a full ride. So that was pretty awesome. I was able to graduate with no student loan debt. I did take out a small car loan, $10,000 when I graduated and that I was able to knock out in about a year and a half. But yeah, so joining the military, having them pay for school was an awesome option. So highly recommend if people are thinking about joining the military to look at some scholarship options there. And fun fact for those listening, that's the same kind of scholarship deal that I used to get my college paid for. And me and Rebecca actually served in the same area of Colorado during the same time, even though we had never met each other. So, And so, Rebecca, what did you study in college? And then what did you go on to do in the Air Force? Yeah, so my undergrad was in mathematics. I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, got my bachelor's in math, and then the Air Force sent me to get my master's, which was an awesome deal. My first assignment was to go to school and get paid full time, the same as any other lieutenant. So that was a really good deal. So I got my master's in operations research, which is just kind of a subset of math. And then I went on to do testing of space systems. So I did that for about three years. So satellites and things like that. <laughs> and then I got out about two years ago and I've been working as a contractor supporting the Air Force. So similar work that I've continued on to do. So you're sitting there after you've graduated from college. You have no debt thanks to the Air Force. Your husband's sitting there with this, you know, $180,000 worth of debt. It's one hundred sixty-three when you get serious about it. What did you do tangibly after you, you know, quote unquote, got serious about it to actually make that a reality to pay off all that debt? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing, I mean, both of us were still kind of in the mindset, not too far out of college. So we haven't really upped our lifestyles very much. And being able to combine finances and making decent money, we were able to live off of less than one income. So essentially, we just didn't increase our lifestyle. We just kind of maintained that and were able to use pretty much an entire salary to, to go ahead and put that towards debt. And we actually were pretty content with our lifestyles. We didn't feel like we were depriving ourselves. You know, we were still able to enjoy. But tracking our spending, that was critical. Making a budget is awesome. But if you're not, if it's not reality, if it's not based on what your actual habits are, or you don't know where your money is going, that's definitely not that helpful. So tracking spending, for starters, we got an account with Mint and I just really started tracking everything, kind of got addicted to it a little bit. I still track every penny to this day, you know, even though we don't have any debt, but I find it super fun. So I'm kind of weird like that. But yeah, so I, I would say that's the biggest thing in avoiding lifestyle inflation. So just maintaining that and being happy with what you have was really the key. So and then once you've got to that point, so you've paid that debt off, I'm sure at this point, like you've started to make some bigger goals, like beyond debt, because you can see debt being paid off and that going to zero. What was the thought process going into your mind about getting out of the Air Force and what that would do to you financially, knowing that you're giving up the pension? Just for some of those listeners, especially if they have, you know, friends that are military, they're military themselves. Like, What were some of those things going through your mind, the checklist to say, you know what, I'm going to be OK if I get out of the military? 
Yeah. So obviously the Air Force or the military in general has a really great pension program. But for us, it wasn't as much about the money. It was more about the lifestyle we wanted to have. And we spent a lot of time apart. About two and a half years, we were separated in the military. So that was one of our main reasons. And we kind of decided, my husband was also in the Air Force. I don't know if I mentioned that. But we kind of decided that both of us were going to get out or both of us were going to stay in just because, you know, logistically trying to be a family and always being separated is not really ideal. So my husband made the first step. He got out of the Air Force about a year before me. And then, you know, doing a ton of research, I would say just before I got out of the Air Force is when we really started getting into fire. And my husband is actually the one who discovered it. I had never heard of it. And I was like, oh, wow, this seems like a really great idea. And just doing research about all the different retirement accounts out there and just crunching those numbers and saying, "Okay, we can definitely make this work without a pension. And 20 years is a really long time to give up your life for a military career We definitely could have done it, but, you know, who knows where you end up in those 20 years. And we've been very happy so far with our decision to get out. And, you know, if you're thinking about getting out of if you're in the military or or you're working towards a pension in general, I would say, you know, have a plan in place and do your research and learn about those other options out there for retirement, because we're on track to be able to retire before we would have been able to had we stayed in the military, which is a really awesome feeling. I was just about to ask, since you've quit, I know you mentioned that you've been contracting basically in the same exact role without the military benefits. Is your husband still working in a similar type role? No, he's actually not. He works for our local utility company right here in our city. And he so he's a civil engineer and he reviews a bunch of plans for all the new development coming into our city. So a really cool job as well. But he completely separated from that type of job. So the second part of that question is, did your income take a massive hit and are you still able to maintain a pretty solid savings rate? Yeah. So I would say my husband took a slight hit when he got out, especially when you take into account taxes and whatnot, because there's a lot of benefits of being in the military. I actually saw a pay increase, which was really nice. My company offers very generous matching into my retirement account. So if you take all those things into account, you know, I think we came out ahead But ultimately, having those two incomes gave us a very stable foundation to be able to kind of go into it because I didn't know I was going to get a pay raise when I initially decided to get out. It just happened to work out that way. And it's been really great. But we definitely didn't know that going into it. But yeah, like I said, having those two incomes really makes it feasible. And one thing I also just wanted us to chat about before we got too far was if you could shine some light on the maybe the decision process that your husband went through when going through college, because I think most people would think, hey, if you're going to the Air Force, like they're paying for your college, which I know me and you know, you, Rebecca, we know that's not necessarily true. So do you know what was going through his mind when he thought like about going to this college, it was going to end up costing $180,000? Like what was I'm trying to think of like, a, I don't want to sound like I'm beating anybody up. <laughs> uh, um, no, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that question. So he definitely did not go into college thinking he was going to pay $180,000 for this bachelor's degree. You know, we both went to a very expensive private university. He was on track to be on scholarship. And, you know, some things fell through. Sometimes with the Air Force, they give out scholarships for very specific degree programs. And then once he was past his commitment, they actually decided to no longer give a scholarship for that degree program. Meanwhile, he was halfway through and committed to the Air Force at that point. So it was kind of like he had to cut his losses because he already had half of a degree's worth of debt. And had he not finished his engineering degree, who knows what would have happened in that case. 
So I'm assuming, so he wasn't on the high school scholarship program or he was on the high school scholarship program? No, I think he was on the three-year option of the scholarship. And then what ended up happening, Justin, I'm sure you're familiar, but after you go to field training, he didn't get it activated. And then they told him to give it up so that he could do a different scholarship or something like that. And then when he got back from field training, they were like, oh, we're not giving a scholarship for that degree anymore. So he kind of got screwed over a little bit. Some of it was... You need to maintain those grades to be able to <laughs> to activate your scholarship. So kind of a long story there. I mean, I think it's just another good example, though, of people having contingencies. Like I know I went to college with several people who all of our plans were, hey, we're going to the Air Force. And so for some of them, especially, you know, those who are already on scholarship and they're going to be pilots and the degree didn't matter. You know, they're like, well, I'm just going to pick the easiest major because what difference does it make? I'm going to make the same when I get out. And my mindset was always like, I think that's where I'm going to be. But in case I'm not, I still want a degree that I think is going to be like profitable and that I would enjoy doing. So that's why like I stuck with a computer engineering degree, even though I would have made the same amount of money in the Air Force, regardless of what my position was. And, you know, how you found yourself in a point in life where, you know, you got ready to get out of the Air Force because it made more sense for your life. If you would have built everything around this idea of, hey, I'm going to have a pension, so I don't need to save money now. Like you could have found yourself in a really bad position. So I think it's it's not a question. It's just a, a call out. Like I think it's, it's good to always have contingencies. And this is a, a great example of it. Right. Yeah. And I think for his situation, I really commend his decision to push through and just say, you know, I, I have to finish this degree. And it worked out very well for him because had he not finished and commissioned as an officer, he would have had to enlist because he owed them that time. So he still would have had, you know, almost six figures of debt no degree, and it just would have been a really bad situation. So, Rebecca, you seem like a super calculated person from what I can tell and what I've done some research about you, and you went to school for math now that I know that. You have, like, a crazy budgeting spreadsheet. It seems like a lot of your life is very calculated decisions. Was your decision to move to Colorado and stay in Colorado since you've been out of the Air Force, is that a decision that you've made consciously for money reasons, or you like it because of the lifestyle, or maybe a combination of the two? Yeah, that's a really great question. So to get out and stay in Colorado was mostly for the fact that we staggered our transition. So by my husband getting out first, he was able to lock down a really stable job. And then for me to get out, you know, he already had his stable job and I was able to find work relatively easily. So that's that's pretty much why we stayed in Colorado. I would say right now, I don't think Colorado is home for us. We really miss the Northeast. That's where we're from originally. So we would like to make it back there at some point, hopefully in the near future. But for right now, Colorado, we're trying to build our nest egg so that we can have more flexibility and have options to make the decisions that we really want to make instead of chasing jobs in you know bigger cities that we might not necessarily want to do. So we're kind of biting the bullet now, saving up as much as possible so that we can make the decisions based on where we really want to live. I know the first part of your story, your kind of money story as you get out of college and you start working, was focused all around that debt. But once that's paid off, just curious, what is your investment strategy when you talk about being able to retire even earlier than you're going to in the Air Force? Is it kind of standard you know, ETFs and index funds or are you doing real estate, a mix of both? If you could give us that breakdown. Yeah. So, I mean, we've invested in real estate as far as our primary home. So when we first moved out to Colorado, we purchased a home. And then we decided, oh, let's let's try out this rental Airbnb situation. And then so we ended up buying a second home and turning our first home into an Airbnb. 
that was not fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just to caution anybody thinking about doing that. We had actually rented out just a room in our house and that was okay. You know, people were very respectful. So we figured, okay, if we rent out a whole house, people will probably be respectful. That was not the case for us. So we ended up selling that house, but that's been our real estate investments as of now. Definitely open into investing in real estate again, but definitely need a little bit of a break. And we'll probably look at doing a long-term rentals in the future. And then as far as our investment strategy in our retirement accounts and taxable investments, we primarily try and do a three-fund portfolio based on you know, index fund philosophy. So anywhere that I have full control over the investments, we we stick with that three fund portfolio and we primarily use Vanguard. And then for our work retirement accounts, we get as close to that as possible. But, you know, you don't always have all of the options available when you're in a work retirement account. That's especially true in my husband's because he works for more of a public entity. So they're, they have a little bit different structure. Mine is with Fidelity. So I've got great investment options at my work retirement. But yeah, we typically just stick with the index funds, keeping it simple, not exciting at all. And they're doing pretty well. So so you in that last little bit there talked a lot about some of the work benefits. You're talking about 401k. I know obviously something like health insurance is included in that. But you also mentioned previously that you have this early retirement strategy. You said you're going to retire even earlier than if you were in the Air Force. So do you have a date set? Do you have a number goal set? And I mean, how close are you guys? And is there some kind of exit strategy there? Yeah, so we haven't thought too far ahead about logistically how we would do it, but I would say, you know, we're probably within five years or so, depending on, you know, our lifestyle goals. So if we wanted to just live at the bare minimum, then it could potentially be a lot quicker than that. But I think five years is more of our comfort level. And then we'll try and get a lot of our expenses down lower. I would like to have our mortgage paid down significantly, if not paid off, because that's our largest expense by far. So that's part of our strategy as well. We haven't put any extra money towards our mortgage, but we are working towards that goal. We just don't want to put that money in there until we know we can see that benefit with our cash flow. So we don't really have a plan yet as far as health insurance and the match and whatnot. My company is really great and they actually give a lot of options for working part time. So I think I don't see us quitting our jobs completely. I think you know, maybe we would go part time to keep some of those benefits. And that's something that we definitely would need to research more as far as the medical and the really generous match we're getting. But if we can get our nest egg to a point where we could just let it sit there and grow, we're kind of open to the idea of, okay, let's just make enough money that we can live off of. And then we can let our nest egg continue to grow for when we really need it. So that's our strategy right now. I don't see us completely quitting working altogether because I think we'd be kind of bored. And I personally really like my job a lot. So it's really not about leaving the workforce. It's more about having flexibility and having options to do what you want in your life. And while you're on this journey between where you are now and whenever that retirement date comes or, you know, as you start to cut back work and start to increase kind of time to do whatever you want to do, there's all these different accounts you're trying to manage and, you know, things are maybe a little more complicated when you get married. And I know you have an article about combining your finances as a married couple. And as someone who, you know, I'm not married, but me and my girlfriend send about 6,000 Venmo requests to each other every month. I was just curious if you could give your breakdown on some of the tips and tricks to making that work for somebody who's looking at combining finances with a significant other. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. 
That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So we started out our relationship, finances completely separate. Even we started our marriage, keeping them completely separate. And, you know, part of that had to do with us living apart. And the other part was just, you know, I really never thought about combining finances with somebody. I'm very OCD a little bit (laughs) about my money. So that was a big leap for me. But I have found that combining finances is one of the best things we could have done because we're trying to build a life together here. And what good is it if I'm just sitting over here with piles of money and my husband is struggling to make minimum payments on his student loans? Like that's just not ideal. So the biggest thing for us was just, you know, routing everything through our joint checking account, having all of our bills come out of there. And then one of the biggest things that has helped us not feel deprived was giving ourselves, we call it allowance. It's kind of ridiculous to say that, (laughs) but (laughs) essentially we have a certain amount of money come out of our joint checking account into our own personal each month. That way we're not asking each other, oh, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Because I don't really want to be controlling to that extent. So that was the biggest thing for us. And then just realizing that, you know, we're in this life together and we're trying to build a life together. If we're going to reach financial independence, that's a goal that's for us to achieve so that we can live our lives the way we want to. So speaking of goals, I read your 2020 money goals and something that struck me and people from outside of the Phi community often give Phi community members flack saying they're cheap saying they're too frugal, saying all they want is to hoard all the money for themselves. But something you mentioned, and you made a point to mention it and mentioned that it was really important to you is giving back. And could you just explain like why giving back is so important to you and your husband? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I did mention in that blog post, our rescue dog, and that's something that's very passionate to us to be able to help something like that. But just in general, you know, if you saw PyChar in that blog, you know, that is way more money than we really need to live off of. And we're very happy with our lives. So, you know, just to be able to give back and to see your contribution make a difference to something, I think is really important because you can donate a dollar here, a dollar there. But I think being very intentional and picking causes that you care about that have meaning in your life, I think it just makes giving that much more enjoyable. And continuing on with like the spending and, you know, where you're putting some of those discretionary dollars, I see where it says in 2019, I want to make sure I got this right, that you spent 22.7% of your gross income, which would mean that you saved over 77% of your gross income. Are you finding time or finding money, I guess I should say, to spend on things that are bringing you joy? Are you, are you taking the vacations? Are you going on trips? Are you, you know, are you having a good time on the journey? 
Yeah, absolutely. And my husband is definitely, he definitely gets credit for this one because he loves to travel and he always wants to go on vacations. And it's, we're a really good balance for each other because I think I could get really sucked into and just looking at the numbers and just want to save, 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 save. So I think being able to enjoy the journey, what's the point in saving all of this money if you're not happy? You know, if it's going to take us an extra year or two so we can go on a trip once a year, then I think it's worth it. Okay, so a common question or a kind of a debate is like budgeting versus tracking your spending. And eventually they both lead to the same exact point. But I'd love if you could talk from your experience what camp you're in and then what you recommend. Because where I'm generating this question from is the best budgeting method for people who hate budgeting. There's a post that I read uh, yesterday on your blog. And so I'd love if you could just articulate your philosophy around budgeting. Yeah, definitely. I would say if you're going to do one or the other, definitely tracking your spending. I think knowing where your money is going is really eye opening to see, oh, maybe I don't want to be spending that much on eating out every month and things like that. I personally love budgeting. Like I will budget the entire year out every single dollar that we're expecting to have come in. But ultimately, month to month, I'm more about tracking my spending. So I kind of make that plan for the whole year so I can see what decisions do we want to make? How can we squeeze that trip in and, and things like that? But ultimately, I just track my spending and then I fill out the spreadsheet with what my actual spending is. And then I make my future budgets based off of that. So it's more realistic to our lifestyle and what we want to be doing rather than saying, okay, I'm only going to spend $100 on eating out and then you spent 95, but you really want to go get a $12 meal. Like that's a little <laughs> ridiculous. Like, just <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So things like that, I think a budget in that way is not super helpful. And I think that's why people shy away from it because they feel like it's restrictive, but it doesn't have to be. A budget is really just a plan. Yeah. And just to add on to what Rebecca's saying, I completely agree that a, you want to call it a budget. I mean, I definitely do more of the tracking side of the house. It's it's more about you know knowing where you are so that you can project the future than it is about like setting the stake in the ground and saying like, I will not spend more than this in this one category. You know, If you have problems with that restrictive feeling, if that's what you hate about a budget, then I could get that. I mean, I, I'm definitely much more in the hey, if I've got all this data, look how much more comfortable I feel about pulling that trigger when I get ready to retire. Look how much better I can make these projections if I do want to make a realistic budget for the next year. Like to me, just figuring out where you're starting is so much more important than like setting these arbitrary number deadlines on yourself that you may or may not can meet. So totally agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, the biggest con one of the biggest contributors to us getting out of debt was tracking our spending, not budgeting. It was just knowing where our money was going to help us make more of an intentional plan for our money and then squeezing every single dollar that was left and putting it directly to our loans and not letting money just sit in your checking account because you have no idea how much money came in and how much money went out. Uh, we were able to really squeeze out every single dollar by actually doing that tracking. And for people who are like, you know what? Okay, this is what I want to do. I want to track spending my money. I can see that this is important, but they're having trouble whether they want to go with something that's free and automated like Mint, maybe something that's kind of automated, but a little more intense, like you need a budget. Or maybe they're thinking about, I'm just going to use a spreadsheet, do it full old school manual. What are some of the pros and cons or advice you have on that? Yeah, I would say automating that process is the best way to go and the easiest way to stick to it. There is no way I'm going to sit here and track, you know, every receipt and every line item in my 
bank statements. So what I used for years was Mint. Basically, you just get on Mint. It will track all of your transactions. You can put it in a category. It's completely free. And that got us through, you know, the two years of that aggressive payoff. That's pretty much all I did. Honestly, I didn't do this annual budget spreadsheet at that point in time. I just used Mint, squeezed every dollar out, and we put it all towards the loans. As far as you need a budget, I know people really love that app. I haven't really used it a whole lot. I did sign up for an account just to see what it was all about, but I've already got my routine down with my spreadsheet. And I feel like you need a budget does a lot of similar things that you're doing in a spreadsheet. So I didn't really feel like that fit my style. But right now I've been using an app called Every Dollar, which is free, but you have to manually add in each transaction. And like I said, I'm just not going to do that. So what I do is I I upgraded to the paid version and I've been trying that out for a few months to see if it was worth it. And I am finding I'm spending a little bit less time than I did with Mint on it. So I'm kind of justifying that expense right now. But basically with every dollar plus, it will give you a little notification when you have a new transaction. And then you have to decide you manually put it into a transaction versus Mint that automatically puts it into all of your transactions. So I think having that manual step of just acknowledging, okay, I spent that and it went into this category. I I just really like that right now. But Mint is perfect. You know, there's a lot of free options out there. And if you're just getting started out, you don't need to pay for a service like that. You can just use Mint. So Justin and I have been plucking articles for question ideas this whole episode, but we haven't really talked about like the genesis of your blog, My Fat Purse. When did you decide that, you know what, I'm not going to hoard all this information for myself. I need to disseminate my wisdom to the world. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I had been thinking about doing a blog for probably over a year before I actually started it. I just started writing down all these ideas, like all these blog posts that I could think of. But ultimately, I kind of needed an outlet because I just I love personal finance. I love talking about it. And then I realized not everybody likes talking about this. So (laughs) I thought it'd be a really good outlet for me to just write about it and then, you know, also help people along the way. So I started My Fat Purse. And initially, I just wanted to kind of remain more anonymous and just kind of put that information out there. But the more I started doing it and the more I started sharing it with like a few friends here and there, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to share this with all of my friends on Facebook. I think I have like 400 friends. And I'm like, Maybe these people aren't going to go research this, but if they see somebody they know posting about it, you know, maybe they'll look into it and maybe they'll read my blog and and it can help them because, you know, I would just hate to get to age 35, 40 years old and we're financially independent. People are like, how the heck did you do that? So I thought putting it out there and sharing our journey could, you know, hopefully inspire people to do the same and and take control of their money. And, And your goal doesn't necessarily need to be fire or financial independence. That's our main goal right now. So lately, my blog posts are a little bit more heavily leaning towards that. But, you know, maybe your goal is to pay off debt. Maybe your goal is to just set up a retirement plan so you could retire at the normal age. You know, whatever that may be, you know, I hope I can just provide resources and tools to help you get there. So as you've got to spread this message to, you know, friends, family, your extended network, have you had any interactions or stories that you could share where you actually saw an impact with somebody? That's a really great question. I would say the biggest impact I've had is on one of my sisters who, you know, I I showed her this annual budget spreadsheet way before I started my blog and was trying to help her get started with her budget and stuff. And I think she was a little overwhelmed by it. But she actually uses my spreadsheet regularly now. 
And she just says it's so motivating to see her net worth increase. And and she's got a lot of student loan debt. So her net worth is in the negative. But even just seeing that increase and that progress she's making is just she's very excited because she feels like she has control over her finances. So I said to her, I was like, you know what, if this blog only helps you, then it's worth doing it. I hope I've helped a lot of people as well. It's hard because you don't get a lot of feedback, you know, like people read it, but then I don't get a lot. I don't know. I don't get a feedback. Really. <laughs> I hope it's helps people. <laughs> no, I think that's so true. I mean, both me and Cody have blogs and we have this podcast. And I know until Cody got to go out on the road with the book tour, we didn't even necessarily know like how many people were getting anything from the episodes. Like we could see downloads, but like you said, you don't get a ton of feedback, but he got the chance to go out on the road and got to hear the feedback. And, you know, then we started kind of seeing that and got to hearing that. And then we started getting emails in. And and like you said with your sister, even if we only helped one person, it makes it all totally worth it. And I think that's one cool thing about this space. Everybody's so helpful that that is legitimately most people's concern. It's like if they can just keep one person out of some kind of ridiculous debt or just getting them into a point in their life where they can be more empowered and have that independence, that's what it's all about. And I think, too, a lot of people don't like talking about money. So if they're reading your blog and it's actually helping them, they might not want to open up about the fact that it's helping them. But, you know, I can feel good about myself if somebody, you know, it's made a difference in somebody's life. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for people who want to learn more about you and your story, continue to see this awesome path that you're on towards financial independence and maybe download this awesome budget template that you have. Where should they go to look for that and connect with you? Yeah, you can go to myfatpurse.com and I've, I'm pretty much sharing my FI journey right now and you can read more about our debt payoff story as well and find lots of resources to help you pay off debt, save money and build wealth. Awesome. All right. And if I want a fat purse, what is your number <laughs> one tip for me to hit that holy grail of financial independence? I would say avoiding lifestyle inflation, you know, finding what you're happy with, finding that point in your life where, you know, I'm content and just maintaining that and then using all that extra money as you progress through your life, you're going to see salary increases and just putting all of that towards your goals, whether that's paying off debt or trying to achieve financial independence, whatever that may be at the moment, just keep doing that. All right, Rebecca, now comes the third question, which is the wild card question. It's a question that, as you could tell, me and Cody weren't sure who was going to ask you nor what the question was going to be. So you ready? Yep. All righty. You've been living in Colorado for a while. I used to live there, and I know that Colorado is kind of like the mecca for craft breweries. What's your favorite brewery? I would say Bristol Brewing. We love it. Laughing Lab is where it's at. But there's so many to choose from. And my husband's definitely more the beer person, but I definitely enjoy a good Laughing Lab from Bristol. Well, it looks like I have a new beer to try next time I visit Colorado. And Rebecca, just want to thank you again so much for spending time with us today, sharing your story. Super inspiring. Again, like Justin said, if you guys want to see a mega spreadsheet, go to myfatpurse.com and you can definitely check that out. And Rebecca, thanks again so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you letting me share my story. I really enjoyed this episode, Cody. Another fun one with a military flair. What do you think about it? Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode too. And I think this is one, Justin, actually recently when we were putting together our slide deck for a presentation we did at Camp Fi, and we were trying to point to a guest that had 
a story that wasn't some crazy side hustle or some real estate mogul, someone who just had a traditional job and they saved up a bunch of money and they're hating financial independence that way. And I think this story hits that nail on the head. And it's a super relatable story for people who might have similar jobs, who maybe came into a relationship with a bunch of debt. And Rebecca showed that even despite the fact that her and her husband had $180,000 of combined debt, paid it off in two years, and now they're five years away from FI. So I really hope a lot of listeners today can pull some inspiration and motivation from this story. Another thing I thought was relatable about the episode is that one person is coming into the relationship with a large amount of debt and the other person is not, yet they're you know, trying to think through how that's going to work as a marriage and putting their finances together and acting like it is their, both of their debt, you know, hitting it together. Because I think maybe sometimes there are people out there who are trying to understand how to tackle it as a relationship, whether it be only one person is really into the idea of financial independence or one person makes a lot more money than the other or one person is handling the debt. And so Rebecca and her husband decided to tackle this thing together. And I know she has some posts out there on her website as well about how they combine their finances. One thing I really liked that we talked about, and I know you and I, Justin, are both not big into budgeting, but tracking expenses is so important. And something that we mentioned in the episode was like, you can't even start to begin to think about a budget if you don't know how much you're spending in each category. Like you could say, sure, I only want to spend $150 this month on groceries. But if you're spending $800 on groceries, that's going to be a really tough mark to hit. So once you start tracking those expenses and actually understanding like how much you spend in each of these categories then it becomes a lot easier if you do choose to go the budget route. Absolutely. I mean, she said it was the number one reason that they were able to pay off their debt so fast. And if I ever work with somebody or trying to help them with their finances, like coaching wise, that's the first thing that we're going to do is like get a baseline. She also kind of rounded out the episode with her number one tip, which was avoiding lifestyle inflation that I'm also a big fan of kind of reinforcing that most of us are happy at a certain spending level. And then we continue to earn more money and for some reason, we continue to spend more, even though we were super happy with the amount of money we were spending before. So tracking those expenses also kind of tie into that. Like as tracking those expenses, you can make sure that you kind of police yourself and say, hey, you know, I see my spending is getting a little out of control just because I make more money. Let's rein that back in. And I think it's so easy for lifestyle inflation to hit. Like even myself, like I just mentioned in the beginning of the episode, just turned 24. So a lot of my friends are fresh out of college. In college, we're spending like five grand a year, maybe. We're having the time of our lives. It's super fun. The next year, say one of my friends is making $60,000 and they're living paycheck to paycheck, complaining that they don't have any money. I'm like, how how is that possible? Last year, you were living on a fraction of what you were living on this year. But it's just, it happens so fast. You get the money, you have these big paychecks coming in, and then your lifestyle just starts to inflate. And of course, there are situations with big families and kids. And I'm not talking about those people where obviously there are some costs that you can't avoid. But if you're conscious about, hey, I'm happy at this point, I don't need to go and upgrade to the next thing, whether that's the car, whether that's the house, whether that's only flying first class. And of course, we're not dogmatic. If those things are super important to you, then they are super important to you. But lifestyle inflation can really crush financial goals. And that was definitely one of the biggest levers that Rebecca pulled in order to pay down that debt and move after financial independence as fast as she is. And now it's time for the call to action. So the call to action today is to track your expenses. So if you have tracked your expenses before, but you haven't in a while, maybe it's a good time to do it again so that you can reference your old data and see if you have maybe hit some of that lifestyle inflation. If you've never tracked your expenses, there's a lot of stuff out there. Rebecca mentioned this new app called Every Dollar. There's You Need a Budget. There's Mint. There's things in personal capital. 
I'm a big fan of an Excel spreadsheet, but just get out there and get an idea of what it is you're spending because there may be some things like subscriptions or reoccurring expenses that you've lost track of. So just go out there and reevaluate your spending. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to go read the detailed show notes, maybe you want to hit up Rebecca or check out her budgeting template, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash Rebecca. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.